John 3.16, such a powerful verse that it has become in many minds and many thoughts almost a standalone verse. Uh, I believe that the teaching in it is powerful enough and comprehensive enough that it can stand alone. John 3.16 gives out and outlines the Gospel so beautifully that it's one of those verses in the Bible that has the Gospel distilled into it. But you will understand it better. I think you'll appreciate it more deeply and it'll have a better impact on your life if we understand it in the context of where it fits and what's going on in that chapter. And so to that end, very simply this morning, I'm preaching to you on John 3.16. But I want to talk to you about how it fits and the verses that are right there with it. And let's pray together and ask the Lord to open our hearts towards the Father. Help me to be clear with your word this morning that I may be effective in your hand. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to teach you something real quick. And we're going to go into John 3.16. Do you know that when a storm front is rolling in, it affects you? It's just like when we have a very bright full moon on Saturday, my wife, the junior church lady, says, oh no. (laughs) Why? Because all your little werewolves are going to be coming out. (laughs) Everywhere I've been in the gospel ministry and and, uh, 40 years of preaching the gospel, I've been involved in nursing home ministries. I've founded, started a lot of them, and it is massive how it affects things there. Can I tell you, when you come in, don't be surprised uh, that if you've had it late night, and by the way, you should be careful not to purposely have one of those before the Lord's Day. Make the Lord's Day a special thing. Nothing wrong with you. You do something in the afternoon or something like that. And I'm saying you have to just sit quietly and think all day. But don't let your time in church be something you tack on before and after whatever it is you're really interested in in the afternoon. In a hurry, you get in a hurry, I'm going to go do this. <clears throat> or you push yourself to where if anything goes wrong at all, you can't make evening service because you because of poor scheduling. Uh, don't do that. It's the Lord's day. And make it as such. Honor Him with that. He asks so very little out of us, truthfully. And, uh, and so uh, don't be surprised, though, if you at times have to overcome certain things that are part of our, our, our natural state of being. Um, <clears throat> I have before as a preacher thought, wow, seemed like everybody was kind of tired today and then I realized no they were all feeling good it was me <laughs> and, and so that's kind of kind of interesting it's kind of like a preacher it's a bad thing to find out you were really excited about the sermon and you were the only one that was I mean there's just a lot of realities of life you have to deal with from time to time but uh, let me let me encourage you with that uh, God's God's people you just keep following the Lord and all the ups and downs of life see people sometimes think being steady is your emotions never wavering and that isn't true in the Bible, the Bible, the Bible people that you find out about their emotions went all over the place at times. Being steady is staying on the right course during those times. Just staying steady. And sometimes you can run, sometimes you can walk, and sometimes, having done all, stand. Stand therefore. And uh, so that's what you can do. And, and, and God doesn't despise any of those things. Now, back to John 3.16. This verse, as I mentioned, has a standalone quality about it, but yet it is... Uh, it is purposefully put with some understanding and other verses around it. Verse 14 really begins as it shifts in towards verse 16 and it gives you a background. John three fourteen, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I'll say just a little bit about that in a moment. That, why must He be lifted up? That whosoever believeth in Him. Notice that's a whosoever. 
I mean, you're looking at one preacher who believes in the whosoever gospel. I'm not preaching to just a few people who chose ahead of time. I'm preaching to whosoever. I'm getting the gospel out to whosoever. And I believe that. It's a cardinal part of my doctrine. That whosoever believes in Him should not perish. Thank God. Not, he will not be destroyed. There's not an annihilation. Thank God for that. He should not perish. But have what kind of life, church? Have eternal life. Verse 16. Why? For God so loved the world. Why can this be true? For God so loved the world. Every person... Every ethnicity, every tribe and family and language. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The word begotten, vitally important. And never accept something that drops that out. Monogenes of the same genetic makeup as the Father. The only begotten of the Father uh, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have, this time it says what type of life? Some of y'all went to that, didn't you? It was a reflex too. Everlasting life. Thank God. Verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. That wasn't the purpose. But that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned. I don't know, wait just a minute while you at least grin about that. Whosoever believeth on Him is not condemned. How many of you are not ashamed you believe on Christ this morning? Is that you? Then you're not condemned. Whosoever believeth on Him is not condemned. I'll not come into the final judgment. Christ has borne my judgment. It would be unjust for that judgment to come twice on what I have done in sin. Thank God that I am free because of Christ. Whosoever believeth in Him shall, uh, 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 is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world. And men love darkness. Never, never take that out of the equation. There are those who love darkness. That's why they talk about a nightlife. That's why the bars are dark. They're not bright like this. That's why a lot of the false religions are dark in what they do. And that sort of thing. Secret things. Secret society. Secret things going on. Darkness. Ways of darkness. No, that's not God's way. And it says, and this is a condemnation, that light is coming to the world and men love darkness. Why? rather than light because their deeds were evil. John 3.16, it's not just a standalone verse. What's that talking about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? I've taught it here, and I'll not go into a lot of time and detail because I've taught it in time and detail to you as a congregation. But I bring to your remembrance the fact that they, had, they were at a point in time where they were being bitten and people were dying from what the Bible called fiery serpents. Don't think of a thing burning and, and blazing like that, but it's poisonous. Bet that the uh, anybody here been bitten by a poisonous snake before? Right. I would have known that because you're a herpetologist. Yes, and uh, and by the way, that means he, he studied snakes, not warts. Okay. Uh, they, uh, no, 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 no. What kind of bit you? Coral snake. Coral snake. Oh, you, you nothing like just messing with the bad one to start with, huh? All right. And the uh, they, they, I heard they do permanent brain damage. Is that right? <laughs> You wouldn't know. You would have before, Benjamin, on that. There you go. All right. Well, I'm making friends all over. It's my charming personality is coming out. But uh, uh, I don't think that'd be a great sensation. No, it's horrible. Yeah, horrible. Is that a hemotoxin or a neurotoxin or a mix on those? Do you know? It's, it's neurotoxin. It's a neurotoxin. So, you, did did you have the burning sensation went with it? Yeah. Okay. We don't need all those details, Sarah. I don't know about the syringe pumped in your stomach. I'll spell that. Did you survive? Yeah, okay. 
<laughs> they did. Oh, that's great. That's not a great snake to be hit with. So uh, why don't you go to Australia see if you can find one of the, you know, there's got to be something down there that would be a step up above that. But uh, these snakes, these poisonous sna- snakes, and uh, the Russell's viper may have been one of them. There's some adders that are very common to the region over there. And uh, they would have been among the sand and the soil such as it was. Wilderness, of course, not a place like we think of wilderness with woods, trees, and all that. And because of Israel's sin, these fiery serpents were sent among them. Imagine the fear, stark terror. I know quite a number of you either dislike snakes. Don't listen right now, John. Dislike snakes intensely or are terribly afraid of them. How many of you will admit to being afraid of snakes? Is that correct? Uh, there you go. You just don't, don't like them at all. Um, and uh, uh, see, John, he'll help you out. In fact, he'll let it bite, bite him for you. All right? But he, um, they're, they're being terrified and they had the situation going on where people were dying, people were being bitten, and you have the wholesale terror of a group. And you've got to think about this. These are people with their babies, with their young kids, husbands, wives, and you have this, the ground has these snakes which blend into the ground. And, of course, they're trying to get away from them, and you step back from one, maybe another strikes you. Where are they? The panic that would be coming on with that. God, in His mercy, even though He had to bring judgment because of the people's sin that they brought, we have a little saying in our school, we do not give you grades, you earn them. <laughs> That's how we believe in education here. But it's the same way. Uh, God didn't just randomly decide to send fiery serpents. He was sending that because they had to find out what sin would do and what it, what it would... Uh, uh, what it would cost them, just like any loving parent has discipline as part of their love so that the child may learn that there's a consequence and wrong. And so here they are and they're in this situation and God gives instruction to Moses, which may have seemed odd at the time, but told him to make it, have a brass serpent made and took that brass serpent, put it on a pole and to raise it up in the sky. When he did that, of course, you'd be able to see it with the, the sun hitting it and all that. And what the people were instructed to, and the only way that they could live and these serpents would not, would not destroy them, they had to look to God's remedy. They said, well, what's the inherent remedy? It's because it's what God designed. That's the inherent remedy. But what you see happening and why it's put in position with John 3.16, just leading into that passage, is because what they had to do was they had to forego their own means of salvation, if you will, which if you have poisonous snakes on ground that looks in the same coloration, your attention is fixed, looking to avoid the snakes. Depending on your own observation, your own response to save you from that judgment. And God sent something among them. He said, I'm going to put that serpent, that symbol of of the judgment and the symbol of the iniquity, I'm going to put it up on a pole And he said, you have to quit trying to save yourself and look at the way that I have provided. We understand, if you understand back in the book of Numbers when this happened, you understand what that's talking about. You would quickly see the fact that that is very applicable to what went on with the cross. Because it goes from, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be lifted up. Not only he was physically lifted up from the earth, he was suspended between heaven and earth, and he is also to be lifted up by us as we tell other people about him. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. See, in the same way that they would not perish. Say we were going through and the snake is, uh, had bitten you and you had poison. You looked at, when you looked, you could live. That was what's said. 
It's the same way with this. And so it's leading into John 3.16 saying, I want you to understand something. That God provided a way of uh, forgiveness and a way of, uh, of, of salvation and a way of, uh, of being made right that we have to look to and we have to trust for our deliverance. Let me tell you one thing as you go in and understand how this fits together. When you go into John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That, it's interesting. The word so is... It, I did an entire message just on that word. It's an unusual modifier. It, it's a modifier that requires an action for the explanation of how it modifies. For instance, if we, my wife and I were driving along and I, I said, did you see that red bird? Modifier, that it would be red. I'm talking about the color. It's something, okay, here's the color of that bird. Did you see that big horse? Did you see that tree with the, the, with the pink flowers on it? You see what I'm saying? All these modifiers tell you something specific. But what about so? What's so? It's only explained in the action. For God so loved. What's that modifier? Modifying love. It, it's defined by what He did. For God so loved the world that He gave. Then what did He give? His only begotten Son. And so that term so gets its great power by the fact that it's modifying, it's showing. God so loved the world. What's so? What's that mean? You know, God loved the world a lot? No, it's not a lot. God loved the world completely? No, it's not completely. It's so. It's so. It's, it's a modifier. It means He loved the world to an extent that He would give Himself on our behalf. They say to Him, and uh, my, my wife will say to the grandkids out here, she'll say, I love you so much. What's that mean? You know? My, my, uh, my, uh, uh, some of the older folks in our family, this old saying, this is going to give, give myself away both where, where my people are from and my age. But they used to say, I love you, a bushel and a peck. Is anybody another so? <laughs> there you go. I appreciate my geezer squad. Amen. Um, a bushel and a peck and a hug around the neck. And, uh, they say, I could just squeeze you to death. I used to have, uh, I used to have an aunt who said that. I could squeeze you to death. She was kind of scary to me. I'd squeeze you to death. <laughs> Didn't know I was in for that, you know. Um, but for God so loved the world. But can I tell you something really amazing about this? Even back to what's referring to in John 3.14, what God had Him put upon the, uh, the pole and to raise up was, a, was the serpent. So why is that? Because they had to look to God's way of salvation and face the fact of the judgment. I'm not going to go into detail in this, and it's certainly worthy of a lot of teaching. We have a very, very dangerous thing in Christianity today. It's called preaching grace without judgment. It's as deadly as preaching judgment without grace. We have no right to do either because both are in the Word of God. And no preacher has any right to not preach the whole counsel of God. 
I had a lady who called, was very upset. Someone had been passing out gospel tracts, and she called. She said she was going to put articles in Leinster Gazette against us and all this, and she was just a very upset lady. Very hostile at the beginning of the, of the phone call, as you can imagine such a call would be, and just really, really, really upset. You have no right to do this. You have no right to pass out this sort of thing. You have no right to put this out there. And uh, then the conversations I talked to her, I found out a year prior, her small child had died. She was still very heartbroken. Actually, I believe by the end of the conversation, I'm not saying she agreed with what we were doing, but it was able to deal with her with what she was. It was a broken-hearted lady. Can I say to you, just so you understand how this works, I was tempted to be defensive. I was tempted to answer back because she was very hostile, making outlandish statements. But I realized... And I thank God for his strength in that. I realized it was a flesh response. That's not what she needed. I wish I would always passed those tests like that. I haven't always. But she, what she was doing is she said uh, she was upset because our gospel track warned that there is a place called hell. We talked about it. And she said, you have no right to put that out there. You have no right to do that. And she said, I believe in a loving God. I said, I do. She said, I believe that, and that God can save you even. And I kept asking her, I said, save you from what? This is the point I'm making. When you don't have judgment, you don't understand grace. I outlined it in a message I preached that there's a difference between spirituality and godliness. The devil is spiritual. Devil believes in God. Devil knows more scripture than you and I do. But he's not godly. And what happened there at the time with Moses lifting up the serpent, when they looked up at the serpent, they were seeing an image of the very judgment they were facing. They had to face that. They had to look at that. And then realize that God was providing them a way out of that judgment. I thank God I'm saved. I'm glad I didn't get reformed. I got born again. There's a big difference. I don't preach a Reformation theology. I, I didn't get reformed. I got born again by the Spirit of God and I'm glad that happened. Why? Because something actually took place. And when they looked at this, this uh, serpent on the, on, the, on, the, on the pole, they were seeing the very thing of which they were afraid, but they were seeing God put it there and said, here's what you're facing. Because It wasn't that they'd walked into an area that had big dens of these types of snakes and it was an accidental situation. But many times, uh, construction work and stuff, especially out in our western lands, they'll start to dig an area out, find out there are all kinds of rattlesnake dens and stuff. That could... <laughs> Hard hat, forget it. Give me shin guards and stuff. I mean, I don't care about hard hat at that point. What does OSHA, what does OSHA you know, expect for a situation like that? But um, it's not that type of thing. Specifically, they were having the situation because of their sin against God. And then God said, face the sin, face what you've done, and realize I can deliver you from it if you'll face what you've done. If you never face what you've done, you can't be free. And God gave that freedom. In like manner when it comes down there, 
The next verse, it says about this when in John 3.15, that whosoever, notice it, believeth in Him. What is that? That you trust Him. Those people in John 3.14, that's referring back to from Numbers, those people back there had to say, I believe in the way that God made. I'm going to quit trying to save myself. I'm going to look up at the way God made. And in John 3.15, in like there, in the same way, whosoever believeth in Him, believeth in Christ, shall not perish, but have eternal life, it says there in that verse. And so when we understand that we quit trusting our own religious righteousness or our own moral righteousness and instead say, Christ is mine. That's who I'm trusting. When we do that, what ends up happening is He says, I'll deliver you because you have trusted Me. He said, you have trusted Me to be true. I will be true to you, isn't this? It's quite an amazing thing. It's even more amazing when you consider the passage from the New Testament when it talks about Jesus. It says, He was made to be sin for us who did no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He was made to be sin for us. Not that He committed sin, but He was accounted as if He were sin. Perfect picture of the serpent up on there. That Christ, when He was on the cross, died as if He had been a sinner. Fully taking our place. Why? That we could be free and that we could, we could be clean in Him. Let's consider John 3.16. Look at this in particular. So what did that come about? What, where does that lead us? That leads us for the fact that for God so loved the world. That love is the love of a, of a creator. My wife does some painting. I'm not talking about just walls and stuff, although she's good at that too. Uh, we can negotiate price if you need something done at your house. I'll hire her. Um, but she likes painting. And for many years, didn't really have the time, opportunity to do it. She's beginning to do it more here lately. And uh, she's very possessive of those. They mean a lot to her. Those are my paintings. Why? She made them. I refer to, I've done it once already in preaching this morning. It's not something I just set out to do. I'll say to you, and this is kind of funny, it's a, it's a preacher thing. I'll say to you, yeah, well, back I preached this sermon. I mentioned the sermon, the sermon just there a moment ago. And I'll give it by title. I preached that sermon three years ago. There's not one of you remember it. Wouldn't if you had to? I mean, just I understand that. I, I got it. By the time you're done with the fried chicken this afternoon, you'll say, what are you talking about? I, I, I get it, okay? So I understand. I, I know the nature of us. What's really embarrassing is somebody calls you and says, Preacher, I was sick. What did you preach on this morning? It's not about Jesus, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. It's a bad feeling when you forget your own. <clears throat> but if you've put it, that's yours. That's possessive. You've created that. You make something. I've had people show me a car they've restored. Look at this. That's me. Sometimes it's impressive. Sometimes it's a car only a restorer could love. Amen. <laughs> Look at this gremlin that I wired back together. Um, I like gremlins, but that's, that's just me. Um, Look at this. This is mine. Look at this garden. Look at these flowers. Possess it. Your grandkids are smart. Mine is a genius. <laughs> Possess it. Right? And it's a possessive for God so loved the world. It's the love of a creator who made all things 
for His pleasure. That, that's our design in life. Anytime we're not living in all the areas of our life in a way to be pleasing to Him, we're not, we're not functioning for what we were made. And He said all things were made for, are created for, are and were created for thy pleasure, it says in Revelation 4. Colossians talks about that theme also. Watch this man. He loved we we were, were he made man in his own image. The only thing in creation he says that about. We're different than the other parts of creation. We are not an involved animal. We're a different creation. Made in the image of God. So God has the special love he has for the world. God remembers what the world was before the world became broken. God remembers what it was in its early time and when there was a freshness and an innocence. And God has a love that has never went away. For God so loved the world, every people, it really... You know, you know your preacher if you come here long. I really believe that political correctness is wickedness. I would not engage in it. I believe it's a, it's, a, it's a type of wicked thing. I will not participate. You understand that about me, so I don't do something for political, politically correct considerations. But let me say very plainly to you, the whole concept of race against race, nation against nation, and all that sort of thing, we're superior, you're inferior, these are like that, and those are like that, that whole concept is repugnant to a God who's our Creator. And who loved the whole world. And in our Christianity, a fabulous quotation. I was reading an older book this week. Got this quotation from it, and I've been waiting to share it with you. But I guess this is good. It's a statement. C. Sumner Whip, his fellow who said it, unusual name, his fellow. He, uh, here's what he said. He said, the world at its worst needs Christianity at its best. Is that a tremendous statement? The world at its worst needs Christianity at its best. What does that mean? Reflecting and showing the love that God has for the whole world. You have people you don't get along with. I have people that I thank God I've never been required to take a road trip with. They <laughs> like that. I mean, I can be peaceful with about anybody in a short period, but they're just people I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we can see each other once every four years. <laughs> um, they're probably the same towards me. Personalities don't blend with everybody. That's why the Bible says as much as it is possible, as much as life in you, dwell peacefully with all men. It's got two qualifiers in that verse. I think that's awesome. But yet, God did not love any less for them than He did for men. And God did not love me less, although He would have been right and righteous in His judgment, to allow me to face the punishment of my sin when as an arrogant, cocky teenage kid I really didn't think he had any place in my life. Take care of it. And yet he loved me no less than 
that he loves me now. What a great God we have. For God so loved the world. What part of the world does he allow us to come in contact with? You've got parts of your world that I don't have. I've often said it's interesting. As a pastor, there are doors that open for me for talking to people. That's doors that closes immediately. Doesn't matter. I can be in, you know, work tight clothes or something, be talking to somebody, what do you do? Or something like that. I'm a pastor. And immediately it's like, you know, look at you like they found this strange creature. This little boy, we were we were at Autumn's home going, and that little boy had his hand was wrapped up. He had hurt it. You know his name, I can't recall. I can't remember his name. I, I can't I can't either. So the nameless boy, he gave it to me there. I had it for a little bit. I went, I went past him and I was going to go down the row there and then get a seat. I've been going through this line as people come through and greeting people and saying hi to folks I knew and stuff. And the little boy had his hand and I went by and I looked down and I said, excuse me, I went past you and looked down and he looked up at me and I said, what did you do to your hand? And uh, he goes, I am so tired of people asking me that. <laughs> And I looked at him and I said, I never asked you before. I said, they just like, they look at me. I said, so just tell me what you did. Take it easy. Oh, so I sit down beside him and he looks at me and he goes, well, see? I said, sure. <laughs> if you don't know it, that's cool to have something that you can show. <laughs> and so he pulled, the same thing. He, he pulled back and said, look at this. So he was showing me his wound, you know. We got talking about that just for a minute. He's, I don't know, six, seven years old, somewhere around there. And he, he's that old. I bet you until they get to be teenagers. How old is that kid? <laughs> that old, that old. That old. Anyway, um, and uh, he very clear diction, very precise in his little words. But he said, "Are they British?" He, he, had, he had almost an English accent. It's, it's a little different. Um, okay. Well, he sounded British when he's talking to me, and but little guy, and uh, he's sitting there, and I was just talking to him. We're talking about his wound or this or that, and he goes. By then, by then he, I was. I think he, he said, "Mister or Sir." I'll, I'll use "Mister." He was. By then, he was, you know, talking nice. And he goes, "Mister." He goes, "Are you?" I think that maybe you're a professor. <laughs> I said, "No, I'm not a professor." I said, "I've spoken at some colleges, taught some classes, and stuff." I said, "I'm not a professor." And uh, he said, "Then what is it that you do for a living?" So he said. And uh, I said, I'm a pastor. He said, what's that? I said, I'm a preacher. I said, not this church. I said, I'm a preacher. I said, teach the Bible and that sort of stuff. And we talked a little bit there. But, you know, <laughs> it's so funny. As, as he's talking, he's trying to figure out who I am. Just get to talk to him. Somebody has influence in that little boy's world. Uh, me being a preacher didn't impress him at all, one way or another. He didn't even know what the species was. But who's in your world? Where does your world touch? For God so loved the world, I know you know this, I'm not being silly, Jesus is not walking around on the earth, but He dwells in you, and He still wants to express His love to the world. That means the contacts you have as you go everywhere. For God so loved the world. That also means you're never going to get to any place or any condition in this world where you're outside of His love. I loved it. I heard uh, 
Brother Tom Williams made a statement once he's talking about Christ walking out to the boat, walking in the water. Someone asked him, said, Brother Williams, why do you think Christ walked in the water? And he said, well, I don't, can't tell you for sure. He says, uh, he said, but I think He did it to show that you can't get where He can't come. That's a pretty good explanation. I'll take that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What a price. Why? Because it meant so much. You have perhaps somebody in your life or maybe somebody's, there would be no price too high for you to protect them, to love them, to provide for them. It is actually reflexive for you to do it. You, you, their, their care of them is very important to you. I hope they're, not just for your relationship's sake, but I hope that you're, you have someone like that and your world isn't so centered on you that you can't have somebody like that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then look what it says there, that whosoever, I like it, you say, what's whosoever mean, preacher? What's the root word? What's that mean? You ready? You ready? It means whosoever. It's more, it's a better thing than if your name was on there. We were, came to uh, town here and we've been here just not very long at all. And there was another Philip Manning. I think God has a different middle name than I do. You say, why? Because he doesn't pay his bills. Now I know it's hard for y'all, you young people, to comprehend that you didn't have all the online stuff and you didn't have smartphones. You did have some smart people. <laughs> That's kind of transition now. Um, <laughs> but we get a bill. We got a bill from the the hospital. Phil Bannon got sick and didn't pay his bill. I forget what his middle name was, so everything I signed, I put my middle initial on. That dude's out there somewhere. There used to be an entertainer in the area. I forget the guy's name. He uh, Apparently, I looked like him. It was a guy who was kind of a local guy. He'd been on some TV shows or something. He was a ventriloquist, one of the hardest words for me to say. Isn't that odd? It's well, say it for me. I'll be the dummy. Um, and, and I used to have people stop me. Mark something. What? Mark Wade. Did, do I actually look like him? Or did I back then? A little bit. Didn't, didn't know when they did it. And they used to stop me, especially it seemed like Frisch's was a great place for that. People say, oh, it's Mark Wade. They'd come over and talk to me. It finally happened enough times. Some guy came up and he said, Mr. Wade? After I looked at him, he said, could you sign this? Mark Wade. And, have a good day, buddy. They told him I was, but he was as happy as they came in the sunshine and I did that talking. So we were good. whosoever someone else can have my name I remember a startling thing I saw a, a visiting cousins of mine in, in part of Ohio and people we normally went to see there were cousins through my stepdad's side there was a cemetery there and I went cemetery stopped and my, I think my sister may have been the first one to see it I can't remember exactly and said so you got to see this I went there and there was a headstone of a Philip Manning who had died in 1964, which was when I was born. Woo! Whoa. <laughs> I'm glad whosoever takes in 
whoever comes and understands and does this the right way. There wasn't a list of people of that crowd out there where the serpents were. Said, okay, this list of a group of people can look at the serpent and live. God said, put the serpent up there and anyone who will look may live. Thank God when we look to Christ, we can live. I don't preach to you about conformity to religion. I just preach to you the life of Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him, believe in Him as the sacrifice for the sin which we have committed. My guilt, He took on as His guilt. My shame, He took upon Him as His shame. By His stripes, we are healed. He literally took my place. Because of that, I owe Him my love, my allegiance, my following. For God so loved the world that He gave His own begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. It's not going to happen, but have everlasting life. You say, well, when does that end? Clue in on the Word. Everlasting. I've told you before, God gives you salvation, not probation. Everlasting. People call here and they say, do y'all believe in once saved, always saved? And I say, no. <laughs> they, they talk that way, I talk that way. No. <laughs> Oh, you don't. Your Baptist church thought you might. No, I believe in eternal life. Everlasting life. Now, y'all will call it once saved, always saved, but we call it by the Bible name everlasting life and eternal life. See, that avoids a lot of dumb arguments. Well, what if I get saved and then I go and I become an axe murderer and kill 35 people? Just people get so stupid with stuff. And you're looking at them going, really? Let me just buy you a biscuit so you'll quit talking. What are you doing? Why don't we stick with the Scripture? That when the living God comes in us, He does something to our living, that He makes a difference in our life. That He's able to keep us. Why don't we face the reality that the Bible says if we say that we have no sin, that we make Him a liar. We call God a liar if we say we have no sin. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Everlasting life, eternal life is what it's called. It's the life of Christ. I'm kept by His life. And then let's finish out, look in verse 17. For God, it follows on. He talks about the serpent. We understand what's happened with that. We see that God loved the entire world. We see the degree, as much as we can comprehend, that He so loved. And then, why? For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's not why Christ came. But that the world through Him might be saved. That is His purpose for coming. And I love that, verse 18, for he that believeth on him is not condemned. That's our condition. I love it in Romans chapter 8 echoes that, for there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Thank God for that. We like that song, thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. I'm glad I like that. That's a good theme. But he that believeth not is condemned already. I didn't have to be condemned by God. And God is righteous judge. I was headed towards a great white throne judgment. Christians don't go there. That's for the lost. I was headed for that. And then Christ interposed Himself. The Gospel came to me. I headed now for the judgment seat of Christ where I will give account of how I used this life He entrusted me with. What did I do with it? 
But the gardener knows what it's like to down before with the school. He oversees the school. And I, I sat down, and Brother, Car uh, Brother Ryan works as the, he takes care of the, the bookwork itself. And Brother Carpenter oversees that and does the day-by-day -day operations. Once in a great while, we'll sit down, or I'll ask him in our school meeting, Talk to me about finances. What do we have? What are you doing? Why did you make these decisions? Why? Because it gives account to that because I oversee the entire operation. He gives account of his area of responsibility. What are we doing in the school? What are we doing with the students? What are we doing with the bus ministry? Those are his areas of responsibility. What are we doing with that? Last week, Brother Tim and I sat down about the music. Okay, what about this? What about this? What about you give account? That's the judgment seat I'm going to tell. Well, give account for what I did with what God gave me this life. And I will give account and you will too. What did we do with it? What did we do with our opportunities? How did we honor him? How did we represent him? But I'm glad that I... I was condemned. I'm not glad that I was condemned, but I'm glad that although I was condemned already, that Christ took that condemnation away from me. In fact, one of the best things happened in my life was when I started feeling that condemnation of my own sin. That's, that's what brought me to an understanding I needed Christ. As the Holy Spirit convicted me and convinced me of sin. I realized there was a need. And, and, and God does that out of mercy. Why? To bring us to Himself. To show us what the need is. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's tremendous what He does on an individual basis as well as the world as a whole. We're, not con we're condemned already without Christ because He had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let me say a final thought to you this morning regarding this thing on John 3.16. And this is, this is <laughs> only God could do this. For God so loved the world. Now, this may not mean as much to you. This means a lot to me. Not just collectively, but individually. Do you, do you realize if you have very many people in your life, you try to get time for different people, it's very hard to give individual time to people. More people that are involved in your life, the more that that takes trying to do. You can't get to everybody all the time. Have you ever had several people legitimately trying to get your attention at one time? You have you ever been on a phone call with one person and it was, you know, it was a reasonable or serious phone call and you saw someone else was trying to call and you, as soon as you get done with that call, you call them back and that person's kind of exasperated. I tried to get a hold of you and I couldn't get through. And it's like... <laughs> Sorry, you didn't put phone up each year. I don't know what you did that one. Phone each year, one texting in front of you. I guess you could get three that one. Got two eyes, maybe four. Um, do you, have you ever been in those situations? Or you try to give your attention and, and, and you've given, you've done this and you've done this and you've helped this one or you've done that. Maybe you've uh, you know, taken care of your family or maybe working that. And you come in and someone else has a need. And someone that you want to do something for and you just feel empty, you feel like you have nothing else to give. That's because of our human limitations. Our God isn't like that, see. For God so loved the world, but He simultaneously, He knows us individually. There is a common salvation for all men. All people who are saved are saved the same way. It's by God's grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. That's it. I don't care if you were one of the churches we're involved with on any of the continents of this world where we're associated with them through missions. Where those congregations and those believers are gathered, 
whether it be in metropolitan areas in different countries or whether it be out in the in the back bush country of, of undeveloped areas everyone there who knows christ got saved the same way their languages were different some of the traditions were different but they came to christ understanding he's the savior of the world and by the way there's a common thing is when we went down to haiti there was a common fellowship that you had with people even though they're, they're from whatever background but can I say to you, it's not, just, it's not collectively, it's individually. When you got saved, God can deal with you individually. When you trust Christ, He's dealing with you individually. On your walk before Him, He deals with you individually. And so God's love is the whole world, but it is the whole world without missing any part. In other words, you can, you can love something as a group and not be paying very close particular attention, but His love is completely pervasive. It's the group and the individual within the group. That's why we can talk to Him. That's why we can cry out to Him. The Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, our Daddy, our Father. That's why, that's why we, can, we can have that personal fellowship with Him. That's why today, when your heart, you can, you can talk to Him. While you can fellowship with Him, you can enjoy Him because it's individual as well as group. And God's never overburdened. He's never out of touch. You can always get to Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And I'll tell you what, when you understand how it fits in, there's a whole lot of depth to that verse. That's for certain. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word and Your people, their good attentiveness to it. Lord, I ask You to do a work in the hearts of those who are here. As You look down on us, um, You know who are your, Yours and who are not. You know who are Your sheep, if there be goats among us that are not born again. Lord, it was a real good day and very, very kind day when you showed me my sin and convicted my spirit. I would ask you for the same thing this morning for any that sit here that don't know you. Lord, I ask you for your people that they'll have boldness. Boldness to be willing to grow in their walk. Set aside past failures and just trust who you are. Lord, I pray that you'll bless them and help them do that. Bless this invitation for your own purposes in it, please. I ask you a moment before you move at all. I'm not even going to ask you to raise a hand or anything with this. Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Not just the Savior. You believe it in a theoretical way. Yes, okay, I agree with that doctrinally speaking. Is He your Savior? Is your trust in Him? In that situation, the Bible records with the serpents... It would not have been enough for somebody to say, okay, I technically believe Moses held that up. He's told us we'd look at it. I believe it could save you. That would not have saved them from the serpent. They had to actually look. Do you look to Christ for your salvation today? May I say to you, if you don't, then there's no reason for you to leave this place in your lost condition. I was talking to you one-on-one. -on -one. I would just encourage you. I've explained the gospel to you this morning. I've talked to you about God's love for you and we know how it's represented by His death, His burial, His resurrection, by all He did. But all I tell you is this. You today, if you're willing to recognize your need and your true condition before God, admitting to Him what you are by choice, and you'll look to Him as your, your payment of sin. He'll not cast you out. He'll not disappoint you. You approach Him in your own language, your own words. Let Him know that you know you're a sinner. Let Him know that you want Him in your life. If you start talking to Him serious like that, you'll find out He'll save you. 
Let me pray with you, and then we'll give you a chance to respond. Father, thank you for your word. Help your people to be moved by it to a greater walk with you, please. Amen. Let's stand together. And you need to come something you want to bring before the Lord this morning. I never like to leave without invitation. It's an opportunity for you to respond to the Word of God that's been preached. This morning, you don't know that Christ is your Savior. We have dozens of people around here that could just take a Bible. We could go to a place where they can sit down and, and talk to you, show you Scripture. But you can know that you know that you're saved based on the Word of God, not based on just how you feel for today. We have a song invitation. You need to come this morning. Why don't you come if you would?